0: You're listening to the Sheepspot Podcast, a show for hand spinners about making yarns we love. Hey there, Sheepspotters. Welcome to episode 28 of the Sheepspot Podcast. I'm Sasha from Sheepspot.com. We offer diverse hand-dyed wools and the information and support you need to make beautiful yarns. Today, we are talking about rare sheep breeds, why they matter, and how rare breeds actually become rare in the first place. Last week, I told you the story of my first exposure to rare breeds and their wool in a class with Deb Robeson. And Today, I want to continue that story a little bit and talk about why I think these breeds are really, really important and not just to spinners, um, but important in some other ways as well. So after Deb's class, I really plunged headfirst into what spinners call breed study. And breed study is just the more or less systematic inquiry and whether it's more or less depends on the spinner, but um, a systematic attempt to learn about the characteristics of wool that are, are of the specific wools produced by individual specific breeds and how best to spin them and what they're best used for. As I pursued my breed study, I gathered and spun more rare breeds both from north america and from britain for example i made some really beautiful yarn out of the wool of a sheep called gulf coast native and these sheep which grow beautiful fleeces are currently listed as uh critical by the livestock conservancy which means that there are fewer than 200 new registrations of this breed annually, and there are likely fewer than 2,000 animals worldwide. I also spun some North Ronaldsy and some Castle Milk Morit, and there are fewer than 1,000 of each of those breeds, according to Britain's Rare Be- Breeds Survival Trust. And through the process of my own breed study, I came to appreciate the bounciness of Rommeldale, which has recently been reclassified threatened by the Livestock Conservancy, which is an improvement from critical, um, and the silky strength of Lester longwool. And I believe Lester longwools are also um, classified as threatened. Um, and those classifications, both the Rare Breed Survival Trust and the um, Livestock Conservancy, which is the American version, they both have a kind of taxonomy of threatened breeds that is based on how many animals we have left in those breeds, basically. Um, so, process of my own breed study, I learned that there is a wool for practically every purpose that I can think of. There are soft wools for cozy cowls and baby blankets, and there are strong wools for carpets that can last for generations, and just about everything in between. Sturdy wools for sweaters and bouncy wools for socks. And that range, which is really crucial to us as hand spinners, if we are, in fact, to be able to um, express the full range of the possibilities of hand spinning. That range in breeds is what we start to lose when we lose these breeds. So you may be wondering and I've already sort of hinted at the answer to this, you may be wondering if there's really more at stake than some spinner's pleasure in her hobby, right? Um, particularly if you like really like to spin very popular breeds like Merino or even Blueface Lester, there are plenty of BFLs in the world, you'll be happy to know. Um, you know, and there are many, many Merinos that they're the most... Uh, common breed on the planet. So why isn't that enough for us as spinners? And why isn't it enough just sort of in general? Um, And so here we have to, I think, dig a little deeper into questions about sheep genetics and genetic diversity. And When I began to delve a little more deeply into that story, things got a little bit scarier um, to me as a lover of wool. Now, I am not a scientist, that is seriously an understatement, Um, but from the reading that I've done uh, about genetic diversity and the importance of genetic diversity, Genetic diversity is what allows a species like, say, Ovis aries, otherwise known as sheep, what allows a species to adapt to changes in its environment. So when something happens in the world of a given species that threatens its survival, uh, its capacity to adapt to whatever the new condition is, whether that's um, climate change or whether that's new disease organisms, um, its capacity to adapt depends on the presence of variable traits in its in, in its population, right? So traits that can help it live under new conditions. And of course, Zora knows that I'm podcasting, so she has to come and squeak at me. So genetic diversity is the raw material that produces the variations that enable a species to survive. So in other words, we need the genetic diversity provided by as many breeds of sheep as possible to ensure that sheep themselves as a species continue to thrive in the face of climate change, disease, and other threats. So at this point, you may be asking why genetic diversity is, um, why we're losing these breeds and why genetic diversity is under threat. And there are several reasons for this. The first is that large scale industrial agriculture tends to favor what it considers the most, quote, productive breeds. So for shepherds, This means breeds with multiple births um, for the largest possible number of lambs every year, fast early growth for the largest possible, um, so the largest number of lambs and also the largest lambs within that first year of growth so that they bring the largest price at market. And the wool industry is really only interested in big white fleeces that are easy for mills to process. So commercial, commercial agriculture leaves behind many, many breeds, breeds that are smaller, breeds that are smaller uh, slower to mature, um, that don't throw uh, twins and triplets when lambing, um, or that produce multi-coated or colored wool because the industry is just not interested in in those things. So that's the first factor, just the tendency of industrial agriculture to kind of select down to the breeds that it considers most economically viable and um, most efficient to deal with. And here here is Zora. Walking around on my desk. So you may hear the pitter patter of little cat feet. So, the second reason that genetic diversity in all farm animals, this is, we aren't just talking about sheep here, we're also talking about cattle, goats, even rabbits, poultry. So, if you, unless you are um, a vegan and you don't consume animal products, um, so we're talking about The animals that we grow for food. Um, and the food market now, the agri, the agricultural market for food is now a global market, right? So industrial agriculture is now global. And that means that the favored commercial breeds are now not just favored within a particular country or in a particular region, but they're really now being favored all over the world. So unfortunately, this has meant that many local breeds have fallen out of favor, even if they've developed over time and been bred by human-sheep interaction, um, to really fit perfectly into their native environment. And that's one of the things about um, about the Gulf Coast native sheep, those sheep come from the American South and they have developed all sorts of adaptations to that climate. They do very well in warm weather. They're very resistant to parasites. So they've kind of adapted to become... Um, very efficient at using the forage that's available and resistant to the kinds of diseases that arise in that environment. Um, There's another example of this. Um, In Africa, there's a Kenyan sheep breed. They're called the red Maasai sheep, and they're native to Kenya. They're extremely well-suited to the arid conditions. They're very resistant to parasites And they were the predominant sheep breed in Kenya until the 1970s. Since then, though, they've been threatened by the importation of larger, less drought tolerant and less pest resistant Dorper sheep from South Africa. And so we're at risk of losing these sheep that um, do very well in this particular environment. But um, Zora is it's just really right here, right in my little face, aren't you? And sniffing the microphone. Let's see if I can get her to purr. Nope, she's not feeling purry today, but she is feeling like sitting on my notes. Um, sorry, guys. All right. So we're losing the red Maasai sheep, which fit really well into this environment. They're being replaced by these other sheep from South Africa that... Um just don't do as well. And in lots of situations, farmers will or shepherds will be encouraged to adopt these more commercially favored breeds and really end up getting the short end of it when the sheep don't do well, they don't survive. And you know, they need they're they're going to eventually need to go back to these other sheep that are adapted to, the actual conditions where they live, and so it's important that that breed be preserved um, in order not just for the for the sheep to survive and thrive, but for the humans as well. So the last really serious threat to genetic diversity in farm animals kind of follows from these other trends, the first trend just being, you know, um, productive breeds, the breeds that are considered productive, Um, the second one being globalization. The third is that technologies like artificial insemination have made it possible for a single animal to father literally hundreds of thousands of offspring. And globalization ensures that these half-siblings can spread all over the world and displace native breeds native local breeds. So here, the most striking example that I found has come from the world of dairy cattle. So according to the Canadian Farm Animal Genetic Resources Foundation, um, and I'll provide a link to that in the show notes, there was one um, very popular Holstein dairy bull. His name was Hanover Hill Starbuck. And he fathered over through artificial insemination he fathered over 200,000 daughters, and they are all over the world. Um, so, between the years, the 11 years between 1985 and 1996, 200,000 cows all over the world, and all genetically, you know, half their genes were identical to one another. So and in fact dairy cows are um holsteins in particular are massively massively inbred and um tend to be very very closely related to each other. And so if god forbid some kind of disease or some kind of um genetic problem comes up in holsteins we really could be looking at a massive Devastation of uh, the quantity of milk that's available worldwide, and that's the downside of these industrial farming um, practices. So, how serious is this? Um, according to the Livestock Conservancy, and I've seen other place this similar statistic other places about twenty one percent of the world's livestock breeds are currently threatened and according to the food and agricultural organization of the united nations which has a really great informative website about all this stuff and i'll link to them as well we lost 60 livestock breeds during the years from 2000 to 2006 which is close to one per month and again we're not that's not just sheep that's also poultry cattle um goats, all that's, you know, anything, pigs, any farm animal that you can think of. And the Food and Agriculture Organization, again, this is this um, group of the United Nations, says about this statistic, losing, you know, close to one breed per month, losing these breeds is like losing a global insurance policy against future threats to food security pretty scary. So we're not just talking about wool here, we're talking about food as well. Now, these two statistics that over 20% of the world's livestock breeds are threatened, and that we're losing breeds at the rate of one per month, suggests that a lot of breeds are at risk and that they're disappearing at an alarming rate. And if you look at the lists of um, for sheep specifically on the Livestock Conservancy's website or on the Rare Breed Survival Trust um, website, you can find out specifically what some of these breeds are. So there are currently four sheep breeds on the Livestock Conservancy's critical list. And as I said before, so being on the critical list means fewer than 200 registrations annually, new registrations annually, and likely fewer than than 2,000 animals in the world. Um, So there are currently four sheep in that category. And one of them is the Gulf Coast native which displays what the Conservancy website calls an exquisite adaptation to its native environment. Um, And I won't even get started on the Santa Cruz sheep because their story makes me so sad. Um, They have really beautiful, beautiful soft wool, and there are only about 150 of them left. Um, And that's actually good news because at one point there were only 12 of them left. And trying to bring these breeds back when, you know, when you only have 12 animals to work with and an island population that's pretty inbred to begin with, um, there's just not a lot of genetic material there. And once we lose it, it's gone. Um, So I really urge you to learn more about these breeds. As I said, the Conservancy website is a wonderful place to start. And then if you want to go into more depth, look at Deb Robeson and Carol Acarius' The Fleece and Fiber Source Book, um, or Clara Parks' The Knitter's Book of Wool. And please try to find these breeds, seek them out, spin them. They will delight your fingers and they will make you a better spinner. And when you're buying mill spun yarn look for breed-specific yarns that are made from these wools. So that's it for me this week. If all this breed talk is making you want to start your own breed study, Sheepspot's Fiber Club is the most convenient way to get new-to-you breeds delivered right to your door along with detailed breed information. And I always try to include at least two Um, sometimes three rare breeds in the mix for the fleece club. You can customize your membership in the club in lots of ways. You can opt for dyed or undyed fiber. And if you choose dyed, you get to choose from among four different colorways for every shipment. Yes, you heard that right, four different colorways. I hate the thought of Club members getting colors they hate and don't spin and stuff just sitting in stash. So I give you lots of color choices. It's more work for me, but I think it greatly increases the value of the club. You can also join for just six months or for the full year. You can pay all at once or in installments. Um, And you can even choose to get 200 grams of fiber in every shipment instead of just 100 grams members also get access to sampling videos by yours truly in which I sample each fiber a bunch of different ways. Um, we're also going to have a Slack community this year. We're moving away from the Facebook group due to the privacy issues with Facebook, but, and we're going to Slack instead, much more secure, much better privacy policy. Um, and also I'll, I will be doing, continuing to do, as I have been doing for the past um, three years since the club started, live question and answer sessions about every breed. This year, also, there are going to be some additional bonuses that I have not even announced yet. So memberships to the club go on sale only once a year. This year, they'll be available for a week starting on July 9th. If you'd like to get more information and a reminder when the club opens, please go to sheepspot.com slash Fiber Club, leave your email address, and you will get an email letting you know when the memberships are available for sale. If you're listening to this in the future and the club is already closed for 2018, you can still go to sheepspot.com fiberclub Fiber Club and sign up and I will notify you when the club next goes on sale. Thank you so much for listening, my friends. If you have questions or comments about this episode, you can leave them in the comments section on the website. Uh, you can find the comment section for this website at sheepspot.com slash podcast slash episode 28. You'll also find links there to everything that I've talked about. And I will be back next week. And I cannot wait to talk to you then. So have a good week. And Ghostman, something. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye, bye.